Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1, verse 26. For some time in my ministry, I have concentrated in the month of December on the Christmas story. And it's not unusual for me to preach three or four messages about Christmas. And uh, so we're going to be dealing with the message about Christmas this morning. I've entitled the message, Why Jesus Christ Came to Earth. Why Jesus Came to Earth. Luke chapter 1, following your Bibles as we read, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that are highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the blessed truth that Jesus came to this earth. And we thank you, Lord, that we as Christians know why you came. And I pray that we might be those people who tell others about the true meaning of Christmas and why Jesus came to this earth. I thank you, Lord, that many of us, probably most of us in this room today, have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. We believe that you you died for us on the cross. You paid for our sins and that you arose again the third day. We've come to true faith in that, Lord, and we trust what you did for us to save us. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today who has never trusted Jesus, I pray that today would be the day by faith they meet the Christ of Christmas. Give enablement to bring the message, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Christmas Day is coming soon. And, it's be, and people all around are getting, beginning to get that, what we call the spirit of Christmas. You have probably already purchased many of your gifts and have begun to do decorating at your house. Plans for the holidays are made and you're looking forward to, with time, uh, special times with family and friends. But let's do a reality check this morning. And that is, do our plans include honoring the one who came to this earth from heaven? Christmas is about Christ. In fact, the name Christmas itself has his name in it, named Christ. Christmas is the day that we should celebrate his birth, his coming to earth. In fact, did you know that Jesus Christ 
who was born in a stable and laid in a manger almost 2,000 years ago, is the only baby who ever came from heaven. We sentimentally talk about babies coming from heaven, but regardless how sweet your baby is or was, that baby did not come from heaven. It did not pre-exist, or he or she did not pre-exist in heaven, and God sent them down from heaven to this earth. No babies are born in a natural way. They begin in the womb. They don't begin in heaven. But Jesus is the only baby that ever came to this earth who actually came from heaven. He was the pre-incarnate Son of God who always had been because he's eternal. As, and, but he left heaven's glory and came to this earth to become a human being so that he might die for our sins on the cross of Calvary so that we one day would be able to go to heaven to be with him. That is amazing. That is what we would truly call awe-inspiring. That's wonderful. But sad to say, that is not the emphasis that we hear today on Christmas, around Christmas. The world does not remember that. The world emphasizes gifts, decorations, lights, parties, and Santa Claus. And there will be many Christmas parades all across our nation and really across the world. I looked it up about some famous Christmas parades. And there's a lot of them, a lot of them here, a lot of them around the world. One of them is called the Mayor's Annual Christmas Party in Baltimore, Maryland. Not party, but annual Christmas parade in Baltimore, Maryland. They expect 25,000 people to attend. There's 100 marching bands, 100 Harley Davidson motorcycles, numerous floats, Miss Yuletide will appear, and Junior Miss Yuletide will appear, and then finally, of course, Santa Claus. And then there's the Target Harley Dazzle Parade in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It will attract 300,000 people. There are marching bands, choirs, colorful floats, vendors, snowmen dancing in the streets, and folks wearing light-up costumes. And, of course, Santa Claus will make his appearance at the end. And then there's the Christmas Boat Parade in Newport Beach, California. This year is the 113th anniversary of that parade. There's 100 boats, everything from canoes to multi-million dollar yachts. Lights, music, dancers, decorations, and it goes for 14 miles through the Newport Harbor, the, the Christmas Boat Parade. And then, of course, there's the Disney Parks Christmas Day Parade with all of the Disney characters and then, of course, Santa Claus. And then I don't know if you knew it, but yesterday, December the 4th, was the Stockyard City Cowboy Christmas Parade in Oklahoma. Stockyard City Cowboy Christmas Parade. Beginning that parade, leading that parade, was Longhorn Cattle. Next were equestrian groups, then marching bands, antique cars, pageant royalty. And then they had set up the Made in Oklahoma marketplace where you could buy things made in Oklahoma. And I, I read where it's located. This will help you find it, by the way. It's located right next to Little Joe's Boots. And then they had Opry, a rodeo Opry performers 
that will provide live entertainment. And then, of course, they had the famous cowboy Santa Claus. And then they have pictures with the cowboy Santa Claus. I looked him up, and sure enough, cowboy Santa Claus is wearing a cowboy hat. If you notice, in all these parades, there's no emphasis about Jesus Christ. In fact, the featured person of most parades is Santa Claus. Yet he has nothing to do with the Christmas story, and he has nothing to do with the reason for Christmas. Yes, the world is totally confused about the true meaning of Christmas. They participate in the so-called spirit of Christmas while giving no thought to the person of Christmas. They have a, you might say, a Christmas party. And of course, if Christmas is supposed to be somebody's birthday, that would be called a birthday party. They have a Christmas birthday party, but never, never invite the person whose birthday it celebrates. But this does not mean that God's people should be confused. No, God's people, we should know the true meaning of Christmas, and we should know how, why Jesus came to this earth, and we should be telling other people about the true Christ of Christmas and why he came. So let's think this morning about Jesus Christ and why he came to earth. Why did Jesus come to earth? I want to give you several reasons this morning. The first one is this. Jesus came to reveal deity. He came to reveal deity. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 18, No man hath seen God at any time, but the only, the only begotten Son, of, Son, who is in the bosom of, of the Father, he hath declared him. So before Jesus came, nobody had seen God at any time. There were times when God gave some, you know, a glimpse, maybe the backside or something. Uh, some way they saw a little bit of God, but nobody has seen God at any time. But Jesus came to declare God so that if you saw Jesus, you could say, I saw God. I believe you could, try, you could rightfully say if you were gathered around that manger scene that day, and it would have been the shepherds, not the wise men. Wise men weren't around the manger scene. But if you were a shepherd gathered around that manger scene, you could have said, looking down in the manger, you could have said, there lies God, and you would be right. You could leave that place and say, I saw God, and you would be right, because Jesus declared God. The Bible says in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. The one who's coming to Bethlehem is the one who preexisted. His goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. He is God, and so when you see him, you see God. He came to reveal deity. John chapter 1, verse, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. He's talking about the Word, and the Word is God. And the Bible says in verse 14 of that passage, and we beheld, and, and the Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory, 
the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when you saw Jesus, you saw the glory of God. He came to reveal God, to tell people who God is and what God's like. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So when Jesus was there, God was with them. He came to reveal deity. When you saw Jesus, you saw God. In fact, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen God. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, God was manifest in the flesh. That's Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, talking about Jesus, He was the brightness of the glory of God, the express image of his person. He came to reveal deity. Now, that was made possible through the virgin birth. And the virgin birth is is one of the major doctrines of Christmas. And that is, Jesus uh, came to this earth to reveal deity by means of the virgin birth. Isaiah 7, verse 14 says, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in the New Testament, we find out the interpretation interpretation of Emmanuel is God with us. A virgin shall conceive. You see, people born normally, it's a husband, a a man and a woman, and uh, that the sin nature is passed down on, on down to the child through the man. The Bible says that's the way it happens. The sin nature comes through the man. Man did not fall, the human race did not fall when Eve sinned. The human race fell when Adam sinned. He was the head of the human race, and sin passes on through the man. So a virgin is the only one who could have the Son of God because the Son of God has no sin nature, cannot sin, does not sin, and so it could not be Joseph. It had to be just Mary, and God had to cause her to conceive. And so the Bible says, a virgin shall conceive. In the book of Matthew, chapter 1, this is spoken to to, um, Joseph, and it says in verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. He's telling Joseph, now this is a fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets said. That's Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us, then Joseph, being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and took, her, took unto him his wife, and notice this, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son and called his name Jesus. So Joseph knew her not. That means uh, physically, uh, sexually, he did not know her until uh, she brought forth Jesus. So she was a virgin all the way through her conception through her conception and also her bearing the child for nine months in the womb. And so he was virgin born, and and that made possible God coming to this earth. The Bible says also in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, which is called Christ. This is a significant verse because it says Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born. Now, we read that, and you'd say, well, he was born of Joseph and Mary. But the Greek there makes it clear Joseph was not involved. 
because it's of whom is feminine singular. And it only refers back to Mary, not Joseph. It's God's way through the Greek language of making sure that we know that Jesus was born of a virgin. Joseph had nothing to do with that birth. So it came about him being revealed as deity, came about through the virgin birth. But it was also proved by his life. His life proved who he claimed to be. His life proved that he was God. Now, how is that proved? Well, first of all, he was sinless. God does not sin. There is nobody here or no one has ever been born on this earth who is not a sinner. We are all sin, sinful, except Jesus. And he proved that by his life. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 for says, says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. God makes it clear that Jesus never sinned. That means he never had an impure thought. He never did anything that was wrong. He never said anything that was wrong. He never promised to do something they didn't do. There was never anything that he was supposed to do that he didn't do because the Bible says to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him in sin. None of that was ever in Jesus' life. He did no sin whatsoever. He was sinless. That shows he's God. He reveals God. He also uh, revealed God's power. God is powerful. He's all-powerful. And so Jesus, if he's God, should reveal God's power. Well, God, is, God has power to do a lot of things. One thing he has power to do that nobody else does is, is he has power to forgive sins. And the Bible says Jesus had that power to forgive sins. In Luke chapter 7, verse 48, there was a sinful woman came into the Pharisee's house. You remember his name was Simon. And uh, he asked Jesus to come and have a meal with him. So Jesus went. And while they were reclining for that meal, this lady walked into Simon's house and she was a sinful woman and everybody knew it. And she bowed at Jesus' feet because he was reclining for the meal. She bowed his feet and began to cry. Her tears fell on Jesus' feet and she wiped his feet with the hair of her head. And then she began kissing his feet. And Simon thought within himself, if this guy were a true prophet, he would never let that woman, I mean, we know who she is. We, he would never let that woman do that to him. T never, never let that woman touch him. And Jesus knew her, her, his thoughts. And he said, Simon, he said, uh, if you had two creditors, one load a whole lot and one load a little, and you forgave both of them, which one would love you most? And he said, the one who you forgave most. He said, that's right. And he said, Simon, since I came in, you know, you, you gave me no water to wash my feet. And yet this woman is crying tears on my feet and wiping my feet with the hair of her head. He said, Simon, uh, you did not kiss me, as the normal greeting was when he came into a house. But this woman, since she got here, has not ceased to continue to kiss my feet. Simon, this woman loved much. And also, Simon, you didn't anoint my head with oil. And this woman has ta taken this oil. She had an alabaster box of oil, very costly. And, and she poured that on my feet, anointing my feet. And he said, Simon, 
she loved much because she has much to be forgiven of. And then she, he said to that woman, thy sins be forgiven thee. Thy sins be forgiven. And so he forgave their, her sins. There was another account of, of a man who was paralyzed. You remember, he, he couldn't walk, and so four friends took him. They put him on a cot, and they couldn't get to Jesus, so they climbed up on top of the house and took the tiles off the roof and let him down in the midst right before Jesus, and Jesus healed the man so he could walk, and he said to the man, thy sins are forgiven. And uh, so he forgave the sins. No, that man, he said, thy sins are forgiven thee. And so he forgave the sins. And so Jesus was able to forgive sins, and no one else could do that but God, and so he is God. He also revealed it by healing the sick. He healed lepers. He healed the blind. He healed the deaf. He healed the lame. He healed uh, people with diseases. I mean, he healed all kinds of people. And so Jesus healed. Only God could do that, and he did that. He raised the dead. The Bible speaks of three people that he raised. The widow of Nain's son. If you remember that account, Jesus was walking into the, to the city of Nain. And before, as he got to the edge of the city, here came a funeral procession out. And they were carrying a man who they were going to bury. And this man was the only son of a widow lady. And uh, Jesus stopped the procession and he said, uh, Young man, I say unto thee, arise. And he got up. Now, if that was me, and I was in a procession like that, and I was following that casket, and that happened, you'd get your attention. You'd probably be afraid. Many of us would probably run away. But this guy just got up. Jesus raised the dead. Then there was Jairus' daughter. Remember, Jairus came to Jesus and said, Jesus, it's my daughter is at home, and she's at the point of death. Would you come and raise my daughter? And, and heal my daughter from this sickness so she won't die. Well, while Jesus was on his way there, this woman stopped him, and she had an issue of blood, and she, for 12 years she had been had dealt with this, and she'd given all of her money to physicians, and she wasn't a bit better because of it. And she thought, if I can just get to Jesus and touch the hem of his garment, and she touched the hem of his garment, and he knew something had happened, and he stopped and said, who touched me? And she fessed up, but the Lord... Uh, healed her of that, that illness she'd had for 12 years. And then after that happened, a guy came from Jairus' house and said, Jairus, don't bother the master anymore. Trouble him not because your, your daughter died too late. Well, she's dead. And Jesus said, you just believe she's going to live. So he went to his house and uh, they laughed at him when he, he said that she was just, you know, she was asleep. And because they knew she was dead. And he, and he raised her from the grave. And he said, made arise. And she got up. And then you remember the account of Lazarus, a friend of Jesus. He had been dead four days. And his sister said, by now he stinks. And he said, let's go to the graveside. And that's where John eleven thirty five 35 says, Jesus wept. Because he's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus, but... He was touched that these people were so hurt. And you who have gone through recent sorrow, let me remind you, Jesus is touched. And he cares about you. And so he cared about uh, uh, Martha and Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sister. And so he stood outside of that tomb, 
and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And, G and Lazarus came forth. He was wrapped in the clothes. You remember, they wrapped him like mummies, and so he just comes out like this. He's all wrapped up, and he said, loose him and let him go. Who could do that? Only God could. And Jesus proved he was God. He cast out demons many, many occasions. We don't, won't mention them this morning, but many occasions he cast out demons. And then he commanded the elements and the and animals. He was out in the boat one time, and the storm was so bad, and they, Jesus was asleep, and they woke him, and he just stood and said, Peace, be still. And the wind stopped, and the waves stopped. Now, the wind stops, that's one thing. But it takes a while for waves to stop after the wind stops. But Jesus calms it all immediately. Only God could do that. And then you remember he rode on a colt into Jerusalem. And that was a young colt who had never, that had never been ridden. And Jesus got on that colt and rode it in there. No problem at all. Why? Because he made that colt. <laughs> He's the master. And he commands animals or anything he wants to, and they obey his will. And then you remember fish. One time the disciples were fishing, and this after Jesus rose from the grave. And he asked them, have you caught anything? They said, no, fished all night, we haven't caught anything. He said, cast your net on the other side of the boat. Well, what's that going to matter? He cast his net on the other side of the boat, boat, and the net was full of fishes. Why is that? Because Jesus commanded them. And he, all he had to do is think the thought or say the word, and those fish would rush to that net. You remember the time that Peter uh, was questioned about paying tax, and, and Jesus said, go to a stream, cast in your hook, and you'll catch a fish, and it'll have a, have a coin in its mouth, and take that coin and pay the tax. Well, how'd that happen? Jesus just had to say to that fish, go over there and pick up that coin, and then you get on that hook, <laughs> and they do it. Why? Because he's God. He came to reveal deity, and everything they saw about Jesus proved that he was God. And then there was another reason he came to earth, and that is he came to rescue man. Isaiah 53 tells us, prophesies about that. And in Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So it's, it prophesied that when Jesus came, he would come so that the iniquity of the world could be laid on him, and he could pay the price for their sins. Uh, verse 6 says, it laid on him the iniquity of us all. Verse 8 says, For the transgression of my people was he stricken. Verse 10, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he made his soul an offering for sin. So it was prophesied that when Jesus came, he was going to come to die for people, to rescue people from sin. And that's what he did. In Matthew chapter 1, speaking to Joseph, the angel said, Call his name Jesus, and Jesus means Savior, for he shall save his people from their sins. He came to rescue man from sin. Luke chapter 2, speaking to the shepherds, the angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. A Savior rescues. A Savior rescues from sin. And Jesus came to do that. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That's rescuing. 
We don't have to perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be rescued, that the world through him might be saved. Jesus came to rescue man. John 1, 29, you remember John the Baptist saw Jesus walking down the road. He said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. The sin of the world is what causes us to perish. And Jesus is going to take away the sin of the world. He came to rescue man. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, such as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. He came to rescue us. Galatians chapter 4 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. We are children of the devil outside of Jesus Christ, but he came to redeem us. That means release by the payment of a price. That purchase price was the ransom price of his blood. He came to redeem us so that we might be adopted as sons. He came to rescue man from their sin. What, that without Jesus, there would be no ransom. Without Jesus, there'd be no redemption. Without Jesus, there'd be no forgiveness. Without Jesus, there'd be no adoption. Without Jesus, there would be no home in heaven for us. We would be lost forever without Jesus. Why did he come to the earth? He came to rescue man. And isn't it sad that all over the world today, People are gearing up for Christmas celebrations. And those Christmas celebrations, most of the time, Christ is not even mentioned outside of the name Christmas. They don't know why he came. They center around Santa Claus or gifts or decorations or parades or whatever it might be. They don't know why Jesus came. They don't seem to care why Jesus came. But he came to rescue man. And without him, everybody will go to hell. And so Jesus is so important, he came to rescue man. He also came to do something else, and that is to rule on the earth. Let's not forget that. That's mentioned in the Christmas story. In Matthew chapter 2, it says, The wise men, to the wise men, where is he? The wise men said, Where is he that's born king of the Jews? Yes, he's Savior, but he's also king of the Jews. He came to this earth so that he might rule on the earth. You see, the rule on the earth hasn't happened yet. That's at the second coming. But the second coming could never happen unless the first coming took place first. And that is Jesus came to this earth. Yes, he's going to rescue men. He's going to die for their sins on the cross of Calvary. But later he's coming back and he's going to rule. And he will rule in a physical human body. He's the God-man and he'll rule this earth. And he, so he came to rule the earth. Luke chapter 1, to Mary it was said, The Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Why did Jesus come to this earth? He came so that he could rule the earth. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 8 says, Unto the Son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Thy throne, you're going to rule. You came to rule. Romans, or Revelation 20, verse 6, tells us that he's going to come back to this earth at the end of the tribulation period, and he's going to rule and reign for 1,000 years on this earth, not the new earth, on this earth. 
and we're going to rule and reign with him. But then the Lord says he's going to destroy this present heaven and this present earth, and he's going to break up, make a brand new heaven and a brand new earth, and the new Jerusalem is going to come down from heaven onto that brand new earth. And the Bible says that in that new Jerusalem, there will be the throne of God and of the Lamb. Throne speaks of ruling. The throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. We are his servants. And throughout all of eternity, we will serve him, and he will rule, and he will reign from his throne. Jesus came so that he might rule on the earth. And that's true about our Lord Jesus. So he came to reveal deity. He came to rescue man. He came to rule on the earth. But then there was another thing. He also came to ruin Satan. Aren't you glad of that? (laughs) He came to ruin Satan. Jesus came to ruin Satan. The Bible says way back in the very beginning, the first indication of of the Lord coming uh, to this earth is found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And it's after Adam and Eve sinned. And Jesus is, and, and God is talking uh, to the serpent and tells, and tells him this, the seed of the woman shall bruise your head. The seed of the woman shall bruise your head. Now behind that serpent was Satan. And God gives him a promise. The seed of the woman, that's a reference, I think, to the virgin birth. The seed of the woman is going to bruise your head. He's coming to this earth to ruin you. And that's what Jesus did. He came to the earth to ruin Satan. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, For this purpose the Son of Man was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now that makes it clear. Why did Jesus come to the earth? Well, one reason is he came to ruin Satan. For this purpose was he manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. When Jesus came to this earth, the devil was really having a heyday. You remember who was controlling the earth? It was the Roman government, much of the known earth, controlled by the Roman government. They were a wicked empire, wicked in many ways. And this wickedness had affected the children of Israel. In fact, when Jesus came to this earth, Satan was really pleased because the children of Israel, God's chosen people, were under the iron hand of of Rome. They were controlling them. They were afflicting them. And the devil was really happy about that. I've got God's people under my control. And so the wickedness of the Roman Empire affected the children of Israel. Many of the children of Israel were, were involved in terrible sins, because of the wickedness all around them. And their religious leaders the same way. They were affected politically, and they became politically involved in the Roman government, and they were in cohorts, so you might say, with the Roman government. And uh, they were very concerned about what they did, that they didn't fall out of favor with the Roman government. And that's one thing that they didn't like about Jesus. He was claiming to be king. They knew that was going to cause them trouble. So they were really serving themselves. Their religion was self-serving. And the Bible says when Jesus talked to them, he said, you're a bunch of whited sepulchers. That means whitewashed graves. On the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And then he went on to say, you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You're full of all that. And yet on the outside, you look 
you look, look good. You're whitewashed. Jesus was saying to them, you are hypocrites. And this was the time that Jesus came to this earth. The government was controlled by Rome. The children of Israel were controlled by Rome. The children of Israel had deteriorated to be nothing like God wanted them to be. And then for 400 years, the children of Israel hadn't heard anything from heaven. No prophet had spoken for 400 years. And you can think that Satan must have thought, wow, I've really got it. I'm finally in control. And then Jesus came. And you might remember the first thing Satan did was he tried to kill Jesus. And he prompted Herod to send forth this decree that all the babies uh, two years old and under would be killed, boys and girls. He wanted to get, make sure he got that Christ child. And so he tried to kill the Lord Jesus. Why? Because Satan up to this time thought he was in control. But Jesus came and his purpose, one of his purposes is to ruin Satan. And Satan doesn't want that to happen. And then all through his ministry, uh, Satan tried to destroy him. You remember he started his ministry. Uh, he went out into the wilderness, and, uh, and, J- and Satan tempted the Lord, gave him those temptations, trying to get him to fall. But he wouldn't do it. And then throughout his ministry, he tried to kill him. Remember one time he went to his hometown, Nazareth, and they, and they, pushed, they were going to push him off this cliff. They were going to kill him. Satan wanted that to happen. Then the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus and tried every way they could to kill Jesus. Finally, they did, but it was at the appointed time that God had planned, and that is when they hung him on the cross of Calvary. So Satan is behind all of this. The Bible says in John chapter 12, verse 31, following the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Jesus said this, Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Jesus knew, I came for this purpose, to ruin Satan, and I'm going to do it. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, at the cross, he spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And so on the cross, Jesus was defeating the devil. That's why he came, came one of the reasons he came was to do that very thing. He came... To, He came to earth for that purpose, to destroy the the devil. And then one day, he will be judge. And the Bible says that in in Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, and that into the lake of fire, that the devil will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, and he should be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. That's going to happen because Jesus came to this earth, and he came to destroy the devil. And so he came to ruin Satan as well. And then also he came to do one last thing, and that is he came to erase death. He came to erase death. You see, the Bible tells us that in Genesis chapter 2, verse 17, God told Adam and Eve, you're not to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and in the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. Now, some people look at that and say, well, they ate and they didn't die. No, they did die. In the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. Death is separation from God. And that day, Adam and Eve were separated from God. Their sins separated them. They didn't want to talk to God. They hid from him, and they were separated. Then years later, 900 and some years later, they died physically. But in the day you eat thereof, you'll surely die. 
when they sinned, they died spiritually, were separated from God, and later that, that physical death took place. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says, For as in Adam, all die. Since Adam, all of us were born sinners and were separated from God. That's why the Bible says we're dead in trespasses and sin. We have died. And only Jesus can bring us back to life. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. And so that has to be taken away. The Lord is the one who came to erase death, and he's going to do it. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, For God commended his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The punishment for sin is death, separation from God. Christ died for us. And on the cross of Calvary, he was separated from God. You remember he cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He was experiencing that death, separation from God. And then he died, and he, was, and he, was, uh, he died physically as well. But uh, when he arose from the grave, the resurrection proved that he had taken care of that separation from God. He had paid the price. He died for us so that no longer was he separated from God. In fact, 40 days later, he ascends up into heaven. He's there today. And his physical resurrection proves that he has power over that. And so he tells us that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll never die. Remember, he told that to uh, Mary and Martha. If you believe on the Lord Jesus, believe on me, you'll never die. And so if we know Christ as our Savior, when we die physically, it's really not normal death because we're absent from the body, present with the Lord. We just go home to be with Jesus. And so death needs to be conquered, and Jesus took care of that on the cross of Calvary. As in Adam all die, it says, so in Christ shall all be made alive. The last enemy that's going to be destroyed is death. Why did Jesus come? He came to erase death, to take it away, take it away completely. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll look at verse 25. It says this, For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. In verse 52, it says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this mortal shall put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in, in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory. Thanks be unto God, verse 57, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is conquered. Death is conquered because Jesus died on the cross for us. He died for us. And then the Bible says that after all of this earth is destroyed, at the end of the millennial reign, God destroys this present earth. And he makes a brand new heaven and a brand new earth. Death is behind him. Death is behind us. And death will be no more. You see, the people who died without Jesus Christ, they are now experiencing the second death, which will be forever and ever and ever. 
we who know the Lord Jesus Christ go into that brand new heaven and a brand new earth. And the Lord says this in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Why did Jesus come to this earth? He came to destroy, to erase death. And so when we say why Jesus came, we could say he came to reveal deity. He came to rescue man. He came to rule on the earth. He came to, rule, to ruin Satan. And he came to erase death. So Jesus came to this earth for a real purpose. Now that true meaning of Christmas is quite impressive. And let's be sure that during this Christmas season, we honor the Lord Jesus Christ by letting people know something about what we've talked about today. The reason Jesus came, and you can maybe tell them, he came to reveal who God is. He came to rescue man. He came so that one day he will rule on this earth. He came to ruin Satan, and he came to erase death once for all. Now, all of that makes it so very important that these great, big, impressive parades that has Santa Claus at the conclusion seem so frivolous and so meaningless because it misses the entire point of Christmas. I'm glad I know Jesus, and I hope you do as well. Thank you, Lord, today for who you are, your God, your Savior, your King of Kings, you're the Satan destroyer, and you're the eliminator of death. Thank you, Lord, for who you are, the person of Christmas. And I pray, Lord, that we might be faithful to tell others about Jesus. And may we just have more ammunition, we might say, when people ask us anything about Christmas. We can tell them why Jesus came. If there's anybody here who's not saved, Lord, I pray today would be the day they trust Jesus as their Savior. We ask in his name.